warning. You're about to hear unfiltered insights about regenerative agriculture and our sovereign right to natural food. This is not just a podcast, but a patriotic movement against the tide of food ignorance and corporate food giants shaping our modern food system. It's time to feed the people. AJ! What's up, Brooks? How you doing, brother? What up, dude? Good to see you, my man. It's great to be seen. Where are you today? I am... I happen to be still in my office. I'm not traveling for once, just like last week. So I'm in Richfield, Utah, sitting here in in this uh, beautiful meat processing plant we're building. Can't wait to hear all about it. I am currently checking in from Austin, Texas. I have been on the move. It's good to be here with you. And just like that, episode four is underway. Tell us what we're talking about today, AJ. Well, we're going to talk a little bit about some incredible technology that we're working on here at the beef plant that will help mitigate waste, you know, wastewater and solid waste and stuff of the parts of the animal that we don't use, uh, which is very little, by the way, but you'll hear about how we actually are going to be utilizing all of it. Um and then I want to talk a little bit about some information uh, regarding lab-grown meat or cellular meat, I think is how they call it. Wait a second. Um, You're t- you telling me new shit has come to light? New shit has come to light. I've got uh, information, man. New shit has come to light. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Excellent. Yeah. So are you, uh, are you helping keep Austin weird, Brooks? Is that, that part of why you took a trip there? Well, I am missing a tooth, so that's about as weird as it gets for me right now. I'm growing out some facial hair. I'm not looking exactly my best if you hear the see the video version of this. But yeah, I'd say we're keeping it pretty weird here. Awesome. Good. Yeah. That's what I hear Austin's known for. Um, the, the weirdest. One of the weirdest. Except for Portland. Portland's definitely the weirdest. Oh, for sure. I, yeah. I, I, there, it doesn't get weirder than Portland, but we'll let Austin keep the... Keep the slogan. Keep. <laughs> yeah. Honestly, I did have a weird start to my morning, which was I sat down to prep for the show like I do every Wednesday. And uh, I set up all my gear and I got to the part where I plug it in and I was like, oh, shit, I don't I don't have my power cord for my roadcaster. What am I going to do? And old me would have gone straight fight or flight, would have freaked the F out. But I took a breath. I took a sip of coffee. And I was like, there's got to be a way to get a replacement adapter for this Roadcaster. And I found one and I had a nice woman at Best Buy help me out. And what do you know? Road deck, Roadcaster deck ready, feeling good. Let's see how ready I am. Holy cow. Yep, it's ready. It's hot. Ready and hot. So I'm excited to be here. I got all the clips that you sent me up and ready to go. Um, so you get to steer, and I am here Perfect. to help you side seat drive, my man. Right on, brother. Well, let's jump into it. So first, I want to just talk a little bit about what we're doing here at this beet processing plant. If you guys are following uh, me on social media, many of you are, probably most of you at this point, uh, up to this point, but I do regular updates a couple times a week on the advancements. The crew that's building here, we're building this processing plant. Let me just back up for anybody who's listening for the first time. So I'm in a place called Richfield, Utah. We're right on I-70 and only 30 minutes from I-15. So this 
this location gives us the ability as a USDA meat slaughter facility to reach 25% of the nation's meat eaters all across the West Coast. So we can bring some stability to the supply chain in this region because we are the processing facility and we're surrounded by producers, farmers and ranchers. We're going to work with ranchers from Montana all the way south, you know, in this corridor uh, to source high quality nutrient dense meat that people can count on that doesn't have the mRNA vaccination in it. Um, I'm pretty sure we talked about that already, but I'm sure it'll come up again. So we did talk about it and the, and the, uh, the YouTube police right. thought we were talking about humans and they said, not on our watch. You shall yes. not talk about that. Those sorts of things on our platform, sir. You don't get to talk about truth. I submitted a retort to this because you can okay. actually like say, Hey, uh, I think you miss misevaluated the situation. And yeah. I was like, Hey, we're talking about this for bovine. And it's actually not USDA approved. And all we were talking about things that are, are very open. And they were like, we don't care. Medical ins- misinformation for you. And I was like, dang it. Ah, you know, but comments. I guess you just have to go straight for the audio version. If you want to hear it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify Podcasts. Sh- shout out to Podverse. I'm going to keep plugging Podverse. If you want to get the most up-to-date podcast technology and i will explain later in the producer segment why you would want to do that but especially if you would like to support companies that won't label medical misinformation that it's not medical misinformation go out and get yourself podverse it's a podcasting 2.0 app shout out podverse awesome thank you podverse for not being commies like youtube (laughs) this one just got blocked sorry just now sorry brooks that's all right just now we're, we're pushing rumble anyway, mm-hmm. rumble and podverse. Um, so yeah, we, uh, so, you know, you can source from here, you'll be able to source what your family's looking for. Now it's just beef. That's all we're going to be doing. We will do some bison at this plant, but, um, you know, some people don't want, or they're concerned with antibiotics used inside the livestock. And so we can steer you in the right direction to avoid that. And some people are worried about how the animals finished, whether it's corn and grain finished or regenerative or grass fed and finished. And so we can, you know, we'll, we'll have all of that available. So this facility is a big deal. There's nothing been done like this in the state of Utah for 50 years. Um, we're not small. I mean, we are considered small in the grand scheme of things in terms of the number of head of livestock that we can process per day. We are small, but we're not real small. In other words, we can feed about a hundred thousand people uh, a day, 10 ounces of beef with what we can produce. So, so it's a big deal. It's pretty neat. It's great to be a part of this project. It's really neat to see the, the community and, and um, uh, the local governments rally behind what we're doing uh everybody that's in agriculture because our pulse is on you know our fingers on the pulse of the supply chain at the agriculture level because if you're a consumer which we all are but if you're a consumer i heard this saying the other day if your grandfather wasn't a farmer or rancher you are so far removed from the actual foundation of our food supply chain most likely that you're it's completely foreign to you and yet it is essential to keep you alive, right? So this is a big deal. It's going to be able to help us really take care of a lot of people. Um, 
And with that specifically, we've got a crew of people here. It's less than 10 people. They're a year in. So the building was already up. It used to be a beer distribution warehouse and they're modifying it to be a, a USDA slaughter facility. A crew of less than 10 have been doing all the work and it's just blows my mind what they get done every day. So I'm doing these updates on Instagram, showing people the progress so they can kind of see what it looks like inside of a meat processing facility. Something that I'm really excited about that I want to share what we're working on is how we're planning to manage our waste. Um, so it's estimated that you're going to use around 300 gallons of water per animal in a USDA processing facility. Now those numbers are like way high. That's not, that's not what we use, but that's what's projected or considered. So our numbers are about 38,000 gallons of water a day when we reach processing capacity. So uh, um, when Utah beef producers is processing what we're projecting, we'll use about 38,000 gallons of water per day. We are working with an agency that's actually got these, these systems set up all over the world. There's systems even in downtown, um, uh, like Encinitas that you wouldn't even know this is what they, what they do. So this, these are proven systems, but we can recycle our water four times, use it for a wash down before we have to send it down the line. When we send it down the line, it goes down. When I say send it down the line, I'm saying we put it into the sewer system and then it goes into our town's holding ponds. But our water will be so clean after that fourth time. So the fifth time, essentially, that we can actually take that water and put it on a farmer's field. And instead of going into a leach field and just evaporating, it can go into the soil because it's it's clean water the waste that gets pulled out of that water. So it creates like a cake, right? All the fats and the solids that, that is being filtered for us to be able to re reuse that water, uh, which by the way, that translates to 8 million gallons of water a year that we will not be using. Whoa. Um, yeah, it's huge. It's a big deal. Um, because we are also, we also happen to be building in one of the worst drought areas in Utah. So, saving 8 millions of gallon, 8 million gallons of water a year. Then that cake goes into a, a system that we're, we'll be deploying and we will be the first USDA processing facility in the nation from our understanding to do these systems. Uh, we are deploying and it's the same company, a machine that will turn every bit of our solid waste, including what we scrape out of the pens where the cattle are being held, like any biological waste. It'll turn it into uh, biochar. It can produce 40 tons of biochar in nine hours. Now you have to have the inputs to get that much out, but it can keep up with 40 tons of biochar. Now, if you don't know what biochar is for the I, listeners and I, out there. And I don't. Inform me. What is biochar? It's, it's the simplest term. It's like activated charcoal or charcoal. Okay. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But here's what's fascinating about biochar as a soil amendment. So you can put, you, you, you should put biochar into your soil and it creates the fertility and the organic matter in the soil. Now, here's one of the reasons it does that. A pencil eraser, okay, the size, a piece of biochar, the size of a pencil eraser has 9,000 square feet of surface area. So if you take that pencil size of biochar and put it under a microscope, it's so porous 
that it actually has 9,000 square feet of surface area in that little tiny piece. Why that matters is because that now becomes basically a condo for microorganisms. So your soil becomes far more healthy as it absorbs. Um, it'll also pull like heavy metals and stuff out of your soils. They use it. We can take that biochar yeah. and spread it, spread it over leach fields and it'll pull pollutants out and it'll control the, the odor, all that stuff. That totally That's makes it. sense. Okay. So as I've said before, and I'll reemphasize for our audience here, our producers yeah. is that you're educating me pretty much yeah. every time we sit down. <laughs> so, so what I, so what I heard you say was yep. that, uh, the filtration and recycle process that you put that you're putting into the plant will save upwards of 8 million gallons of water. That's correct. You're recycling it up to four times and filtering it. And then, uh, and you used a word that I'm struggling to remember, but like downwash or wash down. Yes, yeah, send it down the line is what we, we the technical term we use. Oh, oh, you're talking, yeah, wash down. Wash yeah, down. For our water, yeah. Can, can you that, tell that me what wash when, down means? Yeah, so after we're done processing animals for a day, it's a, it's a messy job. Mm -hmm. That all has to be washed down and cleaned up so we don't have any, you know, bacteria. Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. the wash down water, it gets heated to about 180 degrees. Um, that water, that water is considered potable, before the heating process, but mm -hmm. we heat it because we have to use that temperature to wash everything down to kill off any any uh, bacteria. And so does that mean that it can be used for four washdowns? Yes. Okay, so the water is used for four washdowns before it's sent down the line. That's right. Okay, so the then you have all of this biomatter uh, that yep. is like the fats and the, the, the leftovers from the things that you're processing that then goes into its own process to be turned into uh, a charcoal type substance. That's right. You called that one more time. Biochar. Biochar. So you mm -hmm. create this biochar and then now I'm picking up that, that tiny little pencil eraser worth of biochar and I believe you said 40 tons of biochar, which is a whole lot of pencils a pencil erasers, <laughs> y'all. I, I, I'm no mathematician, but I can I can pick up that that's a lot of pencil erasers in 40 tons, <laughs> and each individual pencil eraser has, and I'm not sure how the math is done here, 9,000 square feet of surface area. If it were to be crushed and and spread out, essentially 9,000 feet. No, no. Think about Swiss cheese, right? If I have a solid block of American cheese, there's yes. no holes. Yes. So I have this, I have the surface area of here, uh -huh, here, here, uh -huh. here. But it well, has, have uh -huh. all these holes. Yes. Now. Okay. And so it, the, the benefit of that is that it hosts a ton of uh, great bacteria and nutrients that are great for the soil and great to yes. replenish the, uh, uh, the land area that you're using and it has the added benefit of pulling a lot of the toxicity out of the soil, just like it does with our body. That's why people use yes. activated charcoal if they've had a, a lot of drinks or it actually pulls a lot of the heavy metal toxicity out of our bodies. So it's making complete sense to me. And now I'm somewhat wrapping my mind around the size, scope and scale of that. So let's just get a quick round of applause for reduce, reuse and recycle. Great job, Utah yeah. Beef Producers, putting your action where your values are yeah. and leading well, by example. Know, here's, what's that? 
leading by example. Oh yeah. That's, I mean, that's what we have to do, especially because, uh, the narrative, the mainstream narrative is that agriculture is the leading cause of CO2 emissions and global warming in the, in the world. And it's not at all, even without some of these processes, it's how we get agriculture moved around the world is the problem. It's not agriculture itself. Agriculture has been around since, you know, the kings in Egypt. Well, agriculture has been around since they first started settling down. When we went from, when we read from hunter-gatherers, when stopped hunter-gathering and we started growing crops, that's when agriculture essentially began. And how long ago that was, I don't know. Um, I've had some interesting conversations about how agriculture is actually responsible for all war, which is an interesting topic and tie in. But let me bring this into a full circle because nature works as a whole. It's cyclical. If you remove one piece of that whole, you've broken the cycle like taking livestock or ruminating animals off the land and putting them in feedlots to feed them, bringing the food to the animal versus the animal to the food. That's a broken system. That's why all of these solutions that are trying to be done, you look at who's trying to develop them. If they're being developed the wrong way, it's typically an engineer that's trying to develop that, like Bill Gates. Why? Because he's an engineer and engineers think linearly. Here's the problem. Here's the solution. Point A to point B, shortest distance between two points. That's the answer. Like pumping, almost swore for the first time on here, I think, pumping carbon out of the air using massive facilities into the ground and putting it in some stupid ass rock because that's the solution, right? So nature works as a whole. So let me tie this into the biochar. 1% increase in soil organic matter Okay, so a 1% increase in soil organic matter per acre will hold 20,000 gallons of water. Mm. So what that means is when it rains, that water penetrates and goes deeper into the soil versus sitting on the surface and evaporating. Now you build resiliency in that environment, if you're a drought prone environment, because you have more moisture held in the soil versus on the surface and evaporating. So we are huge advocates for regenerative principles here. And we're gonna be able to lead in many facets of the of what we do. You know, my, my job when I was brought in here was chief strategist to so figure out how to make this profitable, this plant. Because our meat processing facilities are just as much at risk as our small farms and ranches who are standing up for. They cannot, the old model where it was dad or whoever, you know, grandpa started a butcher shop and he was also the one in the back cutting meat all day long, probably the first one there, the last one to leave. That's the old way. Nobody owns a beef plant. And I shouldn't say nobody. There are beef producer uh, processing plants out there that, that own and operate and cut, but not many of them are doing that anymore. You know, even the guy building the plant here, he's a busy man. He knows it needs to be done, but he doesn't want to open the door in the morning. That means you have to generate revenue from other areas. And so what we're developing is a, uh, a hub and spoke model. Our processing facility is the hub. And then we have different verticals to help us be profitable. Also that we can stay open and feed people. Here's the craziest thing that you'll, 
that I'll share with you that I've learned. Your food is essentially a lost leader. What keeps you alive has no value in the marketplace when it comes to businesses being viable. Let's take Cisco, for example. The reason your food, and this, maybe we get off on this topic for this podcast, but we'll, we'll, Don't worry. back I'll, it up I'll, with some I'll, other videos. I'll bring you back. Okay. Cisco. So we talk this, so we're going to do a podcast. I'll just touch on it, but we're going to do a whole show on the value of food because it's a, it's an in-depth conversation. So you go to the store and you're like, well, why can't ranchers be as cheap as the grocery store? Because the, the products in some of these stores, let's take Cisco. Cause I, I know that one for sure. I'm, I'm more familiar with that. Cisco's who delivers food and products to, to primarily like restaurants. You'll see Cisco trucks backed up to rest back of restaurants all the time. I can't compete with Cisco's prices because Cisco is going to drop the value of the cost of meat or food for that restaurant or that small grocery store or whatever, because what they're doing is selling other products, paper products, chemical products with a much higher markup, right? Than the margins in food. So the thing that keeps you alive is considered a loss leader so that these other sources of revenue can be made. I get it. It's that, you know, we've talked about it. It's the fiduciary responsibility of that business. Great. They found a niche, but it's left us as consumers very vulnerable. So I'm going to reemphasize one again, as many times as it takes. Profitability and health actually are at odds. <laughs> Profitability at and odds. health are at odds. Yeah. Uh, that That's the one thing I'm taking away from Cisco. I want to reemphasize something that you said about the water though. So, so your saving was it 8 million gallons a a year, 8 million Mm -hmm. gallons a year. And because of how you're treating the soil, you're also preserving water. Exactly. So you sent me a clip from a Twitter profile called carbon cowboys. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's a conversation between two farmers. And one of them I imagine is a regenerative farmer. And one of them is having a conversation because he's just not either sold on or sure how to uh, make that transition. And so it's about a two minute clip. It seems like a great opportunity to bring this in as to why this is so important, because you're going to go back to the things that you're doing to make sure that your food can be profitable so you can sell things. And just so people are seeing the, the connecting the dots here, one of the ways that you're doing that is by moving into regenerative agriculture. So here's Correct. a conversation between what we would call like uh, the the new old way and the old new way having a conversation. Yeah. Yeah, the, one of the questions that I had, uh, one was about water, because it's been good. Like we've had rains. Yeah. It, it, it could just as easily turn and yeah, not rain, fine. and that's when you kind of get kind of tight. Yeah, it's evaporating like crazy now. But think about this. That pasture there, those roots are going down, 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 and finding that water where if your plant was like that, your roots would be like that. Your roots would not be able to access the water. And so we build in drought resiliency because when it does rain, it doesn't run off and it infiltrates, and it's 20 degrees cooler. And that keeps all the microbes living and working and creating fertility. If we're grazing everything, then not only are we not taking out nutrients, that's manure and dung piles, we're spreading fertility back. We're recycling fertility back. That was our simple mindset. What does that make you think? Like what he's saying right there, that's not the way you work. No. 
but, but it's I understand it. And but the thing is, you I'm just saying that grass is going to grow when you put fertilizer on it. Without putting fertilizer on it, you think I'm wasting my time even planting it. And but everything you're struggling with, we've been there. So okay. you can't feel or say anything that we haven't said. Yeah, I'm, we've been there. It's just hard to think of how you could do this without putting it up. Now, I'm, I'm yeah. being honest. Yeah, I'm telling is. you right yeah. now. You know my dad. Yeah. He, he's as good as gold. And you telling him you don't have to spend anymore. He loves that. Yeah. But I'm telling you, dad would eat it up. He loves the land. He loves the farm. He loves his cattle. But, you know, if, if you're not spending money yeah. wastefully. And that's where we are. We are not into wasting money. But you just need to come see couple of us could go in there between me and you and your dad and we'd come up with a pretty good plan such a great interaction i imagine this is an interaction that you have had with other ranchers and farmers or you've at least witnessed between other ranchers and farmers because Mm -hmm. like you said it's really really hard to stay profitable and that's not you know, why many people get into ranching and farming. It's more tradition and uh, civic duty and playing that role in society that provides everybody with uh, safe and effective, like safe, safe and effective, <laughs> safe food and reliable food sources in community with other people. And so it sounds like what y'all are doing at Utah Beef is not only, you know, uh, important, but it's like necessary in order to compete and I don't even say, you're not even really competing. You're just offering a different, uh, you're offering, as we discussed last episode, you're widening the pie for people so they have options in the marketplace. And you, we, you, we in this podcast are getting to educate people as to why the economics of food is the way that it is. And I'm, as I said, learning more uh, as you explained to me the lengths and the level that you have to go to in order to provide quality food and regenerate the soil. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm only scratching the surface and I've been wholly focused on this for four and a half years. And when I say that I meet people all the time that have been in agriculture their entire lives and they're well into their sixties and seventies, and they still would also say, They're just scratching the surface because when you're doing agriculture responsibly, you're not, there's a lot more to it as we're discussing than just raising a cow. What you gotta, you gotta have some basic understanding of weather. You've got to understand soil biology. If you want to be successful, you've got to understand the specific animal that you're working with and how that works. Then you got to understand markets and then you've got to understand, you know, revenue streams for your own opera. I mean, it's, it's a very, complicated business. And then on top of that, the time commitment for producers is unlike any job that I know anywhere, you know, maybe a first year surgeon, I'm very unfamiliar with that space, but I imagine that if you're a first year surgeon after school, you're probably, you know, sleeping at the hospital somewhere because that's required. Well, this is the same. It's, it's a very undervalued and under, undervalued both financially and undervalued in its, in, in our understanding of how important for us it is. We, we have, when I say we, I'm saying you take the nation by and large and we have forsaken our food supply chain, the most crucial component of human beings. It's why obesity is the way it is. It's why chronic health is the way it is. We have forsaken what it means to fuel 
this one vessel we've been, you know, I, I think from a, from a, I'm not a religious person. I'm a spiritual person. I think, okay, I was, I do believe in a God, a creator who or what that looks like. I don't know. Nobody does. Cause nobody has seen them or that, or, you know, we were given agency so we can make a choice. And we were given this meat suit to navigate through this physical realm. The respect we give our meat suit, <laughs> exercise, nutrition, sleep, what we consume, information, you know, our, our mental health. We are, we live a life that is created and dictated by the, the respect that we have for this vessel. It's the only one we got. Your car, if you wear out the tires on your car, what do you do? Get a new, get some new tires. Get some new tires, and then it's good as new. Really, you wear out your knee. What do you do? You can get a new knee, but is is it as good as the first one you had? I, to my knowledge, no. They haven't quite got. Not that. yet. <laughs> yeah, we might see it where someday you are, but no, not yet. Right. So it's uh, it's a it's a very complicated topic, which is why we've created this show so that we can give a chance to to kind of help people tie into it. Um, how they can. So yeah, we're, we're creating at this meat plant. Here's what I want people to, if you're a meat processing plant owner, here's my message to you. Recognize that you are squarely the only necessary entity between the producer and the consumer. And if you look at all of the opportunities there are that surround that, this is town square. If everything went to crap, this is the most important place. Producers will be bringing the food in to be processed. Consumers would be showing up to get it. This will be the most crucial infrastructure in the entire nation. And we're, for, we're losing it. We're, we're sending it away. We're closing it down. We're, at, we're, we're regular. I say we're, I could say they just as easily. It's being regulated out of existence for food intellectual property. So at the meat processing level, it's crucial that we have more of these all over the nation. Remember I said we can feed 100,000 people 10 ounces of meat a day? I do. That's a drop in the bucket for one state. There, St. George, Utah, where I'm from, has 200,000 people. Mm. We are the closest processing facility to St. George, Utah. 200,000 people, a little more than that actually, 250,000 people. 4% of their food is produced there. We can only feed 100,000 people a day 10 ounces. That means we are severely underdeveloped as a nation for food security. So those numbers, now that I can really do easy. Yeah. Uh, you're only feeding half of your local population with just that meat processing, processing plant. Right. Which is why we're having the show is because we need <laughs> yes. to get this message out there. That's, that's how centralized the food system has become is that I, I believe you said several times, 80 to 85% of all of the food and the meat that's being processed is being done by one of four companies and you knock out one of those companies and that's a big deal. You knock out three of those companies and now all of a sudden we're in a food shortage like we wouldn't imagine. And then the local producers or the local processors become infinitely more vital and there would be a massive run on those types of organizations. And let's just be frank that, uh, we're not prepared for that. Yeah. We're getting prepared for that, or, or at least you are taking steps to help people prepare for that, help the industry prepare for that, help the country prepare for that. But we are currently not prepared. 
That's right. And when you talk about four companies, as you mentioned, that's, that is the case, two foreign owned, the two of the largest two of the four are the foreign owned entities. Um, between the four, the, from the information I was able to find and I, and I could be off, but I wouldn't be off much. All those, all four of those together have 20 large scale processing facilities. That's it. Only 20. You take out one and it shifts our market significantly. And in fact, that happened in 2019. And there's some fishy stuff that goes on around what was going on there, you know, insurance potential or whatever. This facility processed something like uh, uh, 6,000 head per day. It burnt down. It was a Kansas City Tyson processing facility. It burnt down in 2019. And it, it shifted the market. That one facility, because when you're slaughtering 6,000 head of livestock per day. Now, I will say this. The system as we know it must stick around for as long as possible. Because We talked, to, we talked about that last year. Diversified yeah. the portfolio. No yes. doubt about it. If you're a producer listening to this and you're feeding your livestock corn and grain, thank you. Yeah, I'm glad, I'm glad you exist. I'm glad you're doing that. You have a, obviously, you know, you have a market. I, I, everybody, I, I, I talk to more people who don't want anything to do with grass fed beef than I do that would like it because mm-hmm. they're, they're, they're familiar and used to the flavor of corn and grain finished beef. But that's the majority of consumers. Majority of consumers are eating corn and grain finished beef. We need those get producers who are fattening cattle on corn and grain to be around. So while I have, a personal excitement around regenerative agriculture. Uh, I am not vilifying corn and grain finished producers. This is not a health conversation. We can talk about that and break that down in another episode, but we're not talking about that. We're talking about feeding people. There's a really great book called um, Sacred Cow written by Rob Wolf. I'm sure you know that name and Diana Rogers. And, you know, they, they researched if is grass fed healthier for you than corn and grain. And they, they've said, we wanted to prove our belief that grass-fed was better. But the margins of health were so minute, we think it's more important to not vilify beef at all because the nutrient value of beef, even if it is corn and grain, is absolutely essential for human health. Now, notice I said grass-fed and finished. There is a stark difference in regenerative, which that data came out after that book. Um, and I've seen the data and, and, and I'm, I'm always open to being proved wrong, but regenerative has really high levels of phytonutrients, essential amino acids, the omega three to six ratios are off the charts. So we can go in that, you know, more detail, but what I'm saying is we have to have these producers of all, all practices to feed our population pie in the sky. 50 years, 100 years from 100 years from now, we've restored all of our grasslands throughout the entire West where the bison used to roam. We've now replaced bison or maybe the bison have come back because there's a big push for bringing bison back in. Either way, 30 million livestock and bison roaming from Mississippi all the way to the Rocky Mountains. You'll see grasslands, you'll see desertification go away. You'll see grasslands restored. I think uh, it was Roosevelt, maybe. I could be wrong. There's journals when the first settlers 
started coming back this way, the bison herds were so large that when they were migrating, the trains had to stop for days just to keep moving when the herd was moving through. Whoa. People on horseback, their horses would starve to death if they followed the bison herds because they just mowed it down. But what they left behind was very rich manure that wasn't treated with um, dewormer so that the biology in that manure, that hot, steamy pile of gold was just <laughs> fueling nature. They talk about birds, so many birds migrating. This is like early, early days, early journals. So many birds migrating that it literally would block out the sun for moments as the Whoa. migration happened. Dude, insane. This is what our country used to look like. This, the deserts of our Midwest didn't exist like we believed they did. Now, they probably did in places like New Mexico and Arizona. But for the most part, you go through Wyoming. Wyoming is a desert. It was not a desert. The Great Base, uh, uh, the Bighorn Basin in Wyoming had 30 million bison rotating through there every year. Mm. hundred years from now, if we could see that again, you know, it's like Elon says, we, the, 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 the globe could handle 10 billion people. Well, uh, just to create some distinction here, while we're not a negation acknowledged, trying to cast judgment on corn-fed and finished beef because we realize that it's essential for keeping the food supply what it is, what we are against is industrial food practices that are destroying the soil. Right. There's a difference. You there can is. you can still let your uh, your your ruminating animals ruminate and graze and then finish them with corn and now you're still getting a lot of the properties that would allow for the soil to stay healthy as opposed to yep. putting them on feedlots in mass in, on dirt and dust and feeding them corn and yep. soy products that's that's different um, yeah. and if you want to get a deeper dive one of the things that is a common practice in industry is learning how to turn waste into pr into money and yep. the food industry figured that out a long time ago. Mm. Uh, and it started, uh, I think it started with seed oils, honestly. Mm. There was like a bunch of runoff uh, from the cotton industry. And the runoff was actually causing harm for the animals. But then they were like, ooh, we, you know, animal fats for candles can be really expensive. Like, what else could we do? And then they started finding some alternative fats like in coconut and things like that. And they're like, okay, this is good, but we could go cheaper. And then they discovered that there was runoff coming from the cotton industry that they could then turn into money. And wow. they started finding different ways to compress different types of seeds into oils. It found its way into food. And that's when all hell broke loose is when seed oils really started replacing natural animal fats. Um, so if you're interested in a higher level deconstruction of how industry works, check out episode three of the Serious Fun podcast. It's called It's Fair to Say. Uh, check out episode three. Um, do you want to, would you rather talk about the Italian meat ban? Or, Here's Apple Podcasts. Oh my gosh. Anthropology. Sorry, guys. That's going on the bad, dude. For Siri popped up on my on my laptop. Here. <laughs> Started taking instructions. 
<laughs> Live production, folks. What are you going to do? Would you rather? Yep. Would you rather talk about the Italian uh, meat ban? Would you rather talk about Farm Fresh twenty four seven? No, I'm not. I'm not even going to get into bioethicist Matthew Lau yet, but we will talk about him. What do you say? We let's. Are you ready to transition? Do you feel complete on the what's going on at UT, Utah Beef Production? I'm, yes, I'm good with Utah Beef Producers. I want to finish one more thought to finish things about we were just talking about corn and grain. You can feed an animal regeneratively on corn and grain. And the way that works is you take that livestock, when you're, do, when you're done harvesting, a lot of guys, what they're doing now is they're putting livestock on their fields that they grew crops on. And they're rotating these livestock around the crop fields. So what they're doing is putting manure back into the fields, right? Which is adding soil help to the fields without the need of fertilizers. They're building that soil resiliency. They're planting cover crops. And then because they're raising corn and grain under regenerative principles, that livestock can go to a feedlot and send corn and grain that was raised regeneratively to that feedlot. And I would say that you're negating the carbon issue of concentrated animal feeding operations, maybe not to the scale they are, but over time, this is what can happen. You're sequestering enough carbon across these, uh, these corn fields that, that traditionally get mowed down and then tilled and they left the soils left bare, but now they're, cutting it down and and not tilling it and doing no-till drilling, meaning they're leaving the armor on the soil, they call it. That means when you're not tearing up those roots, those roots are still sequestering carbon, pulling carbon out of the air. So essentially it's somewhat negating the, the, the issues of the feedlots to an extent. Now we increase the amount of land we regenerate, we increase the amount of carbon that we are sequest that we can sequester from the larger feedlots. So anyway, it, there's a way to do it. We do it the way uh, nature intended it to be done, and we can still feed the population. It's just time to ch- start. So anyway, I and rest we, my case on that. And we want to feed them real food, real meat. Yes, no plastic. And so other countries, especially Italy, are taking note. And if there's one thing that I'll say about especially Europe and France, they take their food very seriously. Food, food, their their food culture, among many different things, their food culture is about as forward into their value system as it gets. And so I have about a 45-second clip uh, from the Meat Mafia podcast Instagram page about the recent meat ban in Italy. Italy is the first nation to say no to synthetic food, to so-called synthetic meat. It does so with a formal and official act. The resolutions called for a commitment to ban the production, marketing, and import of synthetic foods within our territory. These regulations aim to regulate situations where the environment or public health could be at risk, or when there is uncertainty regarding the effects of certain products that are being or will be introduced to the market or consumed. It is crucial to have measures in place to address these potential risks and ensure the safety of the environment and public health in such cases. Big time win. Yep. Big time Way win. to lead the way on that one, Italy. It's awesome. Yeah, you know, on this topic of fake meat, it's like your, your little button there, health and profitability. 
Would you like me to play it again? Yes, please do. That's a better voice. There we go. Profitability and health actually are at odds. They're at odds. See, that's the problem. They're just at odds. (laughs) That's the problem. They're just at odds. And I think if we break that down, the problem is is that we've made profitability the focus, not health, because then that would be different, right? And in, in the United States, the amount of countries that have banned products that we sell freely through this country, that's why we are the most overweight nation on the planet. It's because of profitability as the focus over health. So, you know, we saw fake meat coming around. It's specifically um, not what we're, you know, really discussing here, which is lab grown meat, but the, the vegan meat, you know, so to say, which those two words just don't even belong together. Um, and look what happened to that. They, they pushed it. They had an agenda. They, the mainstream media tried to drive it home that this was the new way. And it was, it was environmentally friendly and all of these things. And we discussed it already on a previous show about uh, comfort wellness is now their pivot because they realized nobody was buying into that bullshit. And so their stocks didn't do, they tanked basically, you know, going bankrupt. Poor guys. Oh, we just hate to see it. The market won. Oh, you just hate to see it. Oh, you hate to see it. But you know what, folks, when you hear stuff like that, this is the significance of your food dollar. People say, well, how do we do anything? How do we actually make a difference? This is evidence. You decided you don't want anything to do with that, and it went away. Now, it's cellular-grown meat's turn. It's the stuff grown in Petri dish. They call it cultivated meat. You're going to see these things on labels, maybe. Uh, you should be, it should say cellular grown or lab grown or cultivated because that's what they are. And meat should not be in the sentence. Again, I'm, 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 I'm going to speak up for that till I die. If it's not meat, it shouldn't be on the label or the package anywhere. You should call it something different. So cultivated protein sources or whatever. It's definitely not meat. No, it's just, it's, these companies are ingredient companies. They're not food companies. So an article came out this morning, actually. I think it was this morning. No, yesterday. Uh, that because of the push, just like we're just seeing a repeat of the, the, the vegan meat movement. There's this huge push. This is all the rage. This is going to be the thing that saves the planet. And it's going to make people a lot of money. And that's the only interest being put here. Nobody's talking about any long-term health implications. Why? Because there is no long-term. They're just throwing this against the wall for some, you know, agenda. The We're going to see, and with this article that just came out this morning, early this morning, basically is saying that the market is going to consolidate because you've got all these pop-ups, like one person has the idea and then a whole bunch of people has have the idea. These, these companies are going to consolidate. But this last paragraph I thought was, um, uh, was interesting. Despite the influx of cash since 2016, so they've been working on this for a while, the report predicts an M&A-fueled period of shrinkage. You don't say. 
the industry will be challenged to deliver sales to consumers and the and to stretch funding runways to the point of delivering profitability. I think that was the vegan meats plan. Um, basically that we see shaking out similar that we're seeing in the plant-based meat sector with consolidation amongst the plant uh, players. Most likely it's a, it's a repeat. It's, it's not going to work. The only way this works folks is if there's some really tyrannical rules that are put in place that, that despite you choosing to vote with your dollars, like the CBDC telling you, Oh, you can't buy this meat because you drove a hundred miles this week. So to offset your carbon emissions, you have to buy cellular meat. And if the free market doesn't work, they're going to keep trotting out people like bioethicist Matthew Lau, who's got a completely so great and novel idea about what to do with all these meat-eating humans. Okay, so I'll give two examples. So one is that uh, people eat too much meat, right? And if they were to cut down on their consumption on meat, then they would, uh, it would actually really help the planet. Uh, but Wrong. people are not willing to give up meat. Yeah, you know, some people will be willing to, but other people, they may be willing to, but they sort of, they have a weakness of will. They say, wow, this, this steak is just too juicy. I can't do it. I, I'm one of those, by the way. So, you know, but so here's the thought, right? So it turns out that we know a lot about, so there, we have these intolerance to, uh, so I, for example, I have milk intolerance. I'm, uh, and there's some people are intolerant to crayfish. So possibly we can use hu human engineering to make it the case that we're intolerant to certain kinds of meat, to certain kinds of bovine, uh, bovine proteins. And there's actually analogs of this in life. There's this thing called the long star tick, where if it bites you, you will become allergic to meat. Uh, I can sort of describe the mechanism. So that's something that we can do through human engineering. We can kind of uh, possibly address really big world problems through human engineering. Now, now, AJ, may I ask? Can I can I just take for uh, it, can I take a please. moment to cuss, curse? Yes, please do. There is a. I want you to think about intelligence not as a spectrum, but as a as a horseshoe. Politics and intelligence are not spectrums; they're actually horseshoes. So on one hand, you have, and we'll talk about intelligence, you have dumb, like real, real dumb people. And I mean this with all due respect, okay? The dumbest. And as you keep traveling along the shoehorn here, and I can't really do it on camera, you start to end up around on the other side of intelligence. And around over here, it's like, wow, these are some really smart people, you know? But as you keep going down in intelligence, you actually end up a lot closer to where you started. And the smarter you get, the dumber you fucking get. I'm just going to say it. There are some smart dumb motherfuckers out there and bioethicist Matthew Lau who surprise surprise is a, a consultant for the World Economic Forum is out there pitching shit like this. Climate change is one of the biggest problems that we face today. We may be beyond the point of no return. Scientists believe that we have no choice but to consider geoengineering. But geoengineering is very, very risky. I want to consider a class of solutions that have never been considered before. Human engineering. It involves the biomedical modification of human beings. 18% of greenhouse gas emissions come from livestock farming. So if we eat less meat, we could significantly reduce our greenhouse gas emissions. Now, some people would be willing to eat less meat, 
but they lack the willpower. Human engineering could help. Just as some people are naturally intolerant to milk or crayfish, like myself, we could artificially induce mild intolerance to meat by simulating our immune system against common bovine proteins. And in this way, we can create an aversion to eating eco-unfriendly food. And we can do this, for example, by having meat patches, kind of like nicotine patches. People can then wear these patches before they go out for dinner to curb their enthusiasm for eating meat. Have you ever heard of biological warfare? Yeah, I have. He's he is advocating, ladies and gentlemen, and I'm sure some people think out uh, bioethicist Matthew Lau is so smart. He's so intelligent. Uh, you could hear people they were just tinging with excitement out there when he said we could we could give people a, a either a shot or give them a patch and we can actually it's because you're weak. You're a dumb, weak human. You out there, you dumb, weak humans. You can't keep that meat out of your mouth. So we just got to give you a shot or give you a give you a patch that will make you resistant to it because you 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 lack the will. You weak, weak human. God, dude, that is just. This, good. I'm just gritting is, my teeth. You know the all the responsibility for for creating super smart, super dumb people belong to the jocks. Listen, guys, this is your fault for picking on them when they were younger. These, these simps get a little bit of power now, and they remember when you picked on them because they were. <laughs> They're thinking is about the high, school, warfare. the high school quarterback over there eating a steak and hanging out with the hot chicks. He's like, I'm going to get you one day. One of these days, I'm going to make you allergic. Dude. Dude. So I This actually, guy is yeah. advocating for biological warfare. What, what did he say about the ticks? And it's true. About half a million people have been bit by a tick. And the result of that, you have you have uh, Lyme disease is one thing from a tick. But now they've got people that have been bit by these um, these ticks and now they're allergic to meat. So you know what what I'm going to do? Oh, my God. You know what? I got to put it on. Do it. I just transitioned to tinfoil hat brooks. Here we are. Awesome. Welcome, tinfoil hat brooks. It's great to be here. You know, if I were to want to execute a an agenda on the population, one of the ways that I would do that is I would hide it in plain sight and I would hide it in nature. And I wonder, tin, tinfoil, brack brooks, uh, tinfoil hat brooks here is wondering if those ticks were also bioengineered to create that exact outcome. Out there throwing a test balloon out there. Let's like, oh, let's just put this out there and just see what happens. Are you following me, AJ? I'm following you, man. I, because I, most I, people won't go voluntarily. They're not going to listen. They're going to look at bioethicist no. Matthew Lau, and they're going to be like, then dude is dumb. If you think I'm putting a patch on, like, come get some. But if I throw out some ticks, and and where are they? It's like the Texas something tick. Yep. If you were going to pick one state to attack to make them allergic to beef, it would be Texas. It'd be Texas. Let's start there. That's That's a great rollout. I mean, we just, we already know that these, this research is being, research like this is being done on and with mosquitoes. I mean, all of those mosquito issues that started popping up with uh, Bill Gates releasing bioengineered mosquitoes for certain projects. I mean, this is 
This is biological warfare on the American population. That is exactly what it is, and I'm not going to I'm not going to sugarcoat it. These people are create, creating or or, or uh, committing crimes of war. Well, I'm and, I'm no uh, I'm no uh, Doctor Evil. I'm not I'm not a real life Doctor Evil. But if I were, and it just so turns out, Klaus Schwab looks a lot like Doctor Evil. <laughs> if you if you take a look at him, he's yes. He he wears robes. He 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 has a surprising Doctor Evil look. He even kind of sounds like the Doctor Evil was from. Uh, he was from Belgium. Uh, Klaus Schwab is from Switzerland. They're really close, and they have similar accents. So, although I'm no Doctor Evil, if I wanted to execute an evil agenda that involved uh, uh, getting people to stop eating meat, the the vital, the vitality. If I wanted to reduce the human population to a bunch of weak unable to fight back people i would find as many ways to do that as possible and one of which may include may include engineering a tick and releasing it into the wild and you know what i think you know let's transition back out of here <laughs> yeah so when we talk about these cellular grown meats and these uh, these in, this intention to 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 push these systems and these new ways of feeding the population to circumvent climate change and all of the issues that are wrongly being uh, presented to um, people that don't take the time. I mean, it's, we live in a headline society. They read the headline and that's the truth, you know? So if they say agriculture is the leading cause of global warming, they just got all their information from that headline and they're not going to see it anywhere else because our media in our country is None of our media, print or or online or anything in the mainstream that gets most of the airtime, um, goes against these conversations. Are you familiar and, with the term red herring? Uh, I've heard the term, but I am not familiar. Please a, share. A red herring is the thing that gets blamed. It's kind of like a scapegoat. Ah, uh, yeah. So meat, in this case, is a red herring for climate change. So they're blaming yeah. meat as a climate as like oh this is part yes. of the reason for climate change let's ignore the fact that we mentioned before all the tankers that are dumping toxic waste into the oceans let's ignore the industrial practices that are putting putting cows on the feedlots and not letting them graze let's ignore the people and the industries that are actually if there is i mean the climate like you said is always changing but if it was damaging the environment and the climate to a dangerous level is it because cows exist like this is this is just a nonsense answer considering how long ruminating animals have been on the planet and like you said all it takes is a little bit of look at history another thing that they're going to go out and and uh you know if climate if meat is the red herring they got to give us something else <laughs> and so they have been pushing, uh, I believe Tyson Foods has officially launched um, uh, crickets as part of their fresh diets. And so they've they've lifted up crickets as like this uh, uh, savior to the, cons the issue that we're experiencing. And so what I also want to do since we're on the topic is bring up another clip that you sent me from a, uh, a guy named Lane Kilpatrick. And he's got... Um, an IG page. I want to make sure that I'm uh, referencing him correctly. It's hormone specialist at hormone specialist on Instagram. And he, uh, I have a short clip here about 90 seconds on 
what some of the research is showing about crickets, just so we can create a fair and balanced conversation here. If eating crickets sounds repulsive to you, it's probably because you think about a little critter squirming and jumping around in your mouth rather than dried, ground up into flour and made into chips. At least that's what the researchers funded by the German government reported in their published study, encouraging willingness to try insect foods with a utility value intervention. It seems to me like if an intervention is required to get people to eat something, may not be the best seller. Well, you be the judge. Pumpkin pecan pie? Or this, cricket pumpkin pie. How's your willingness on each of those? Why this movement to eat insects? Well, it's centered in climate change. Apparently crickets have an incredible ability to convert what they eat into protein biomass using less water, land, and food than livestock. A lot of big investments going into the edible insect market. Last year, the Canadian government invested eight and a half million in a cricket processing plant that produces 13 million kilos a year of the little fellows for pet and human food. But some researchers believe the chitin that makes up the exoskeleton of insects causes an immune response and is inflammatory. I'm a little concerned that it'll make its way into food products for us to beef up, so to speak, the protein content under unrecognizable names given as public relations problem at the family table. I mean, the policy of what they don't know about, they won't reject, wouldn't be new in the food industry. I don't know if this is a good idea or another harebrained plan to save the world, but I don't think cricket pie is going to carry off any first place ribbons at county fairs in America. And with that, man, I would love to thank you, AJ, for your courage and uh, welcome us into our producer break. Oh, dear listener. We're out here delivering those hard facts. I know some of it is, yeah, you, you probably support what we're out here saying and doing. You're likely here because you think along similar lines and you want to get some information as to how you can fight back against the, the people who are trying to incentivize cricket eating, cultivated meat eating. Maybe you want to bitch slap bioethicist Matthew Lau. You wouldn't be, the, you wouldn't be alone there, dear producer. And so for that, we invest in you by giving you this time to say thank you to everyone who is a producer of this show. In the value for value model, we receive your value in the form of time, talent, and treasure. And we aspire to give our time and our talent and our information and wisdom to you in a way that is educational, entertaining, and makes you want to keep coming back, uh, learning for more, hopefully not spending too much time angry and upset we can, there's a lot of things to be angry and upset about these days, AJ. And even though this is one of them, I'd say that we're trying to keep a balance of having fun, reminding people all the things that they can do to push back against the system that is certainly uh, incentivized uh, against your health. Profitability and health actually are at odds. And so the way that we like to do that is to take a special moment in each episode to say thank you to our producers. As I've mentioned... Starting next episode, which will be episode five, you will be able to offer monetary donations to this podcast to vote with your dollars, and we call that giving us treasure. And if you would like to donate your treasure, AJ, please, will you tell them where they can go to donate their treasure? Yes, you can go to Give, Send, Go. We have a Give, Send, Go set up. Um, that does allow us to, to produce the show and add equipment and, you know, in the future bring uh, guests in. So it's givesendgo.com forward slash feed the people. 
Give and we also go. happily accept prayers. So what's neat about the Give, Send, Go platform is if you don't have the financial ability to support us that way, we absolutely uh, love receiving prayers. In fact, can I read one real quick? I would love it. So one of our prayer uh, givers sending lots of love and energy to you and all those working on this amazing initiative. This is what we truly need to take back our, uh, take back control and we, the American people and take back our freedom. Thank you for doing what you're doing, praying for you and your team for continued success to being this amazing, to bring this amazing idea to fruition. God bless. I'm telling you guys, listen, as we go through this journey of building the meat processing facility and the software, uh, the, the prayers are just as important for us as anything else. We, we have a saying here at the plant, be up to something so big that's destined to fail without God's support. And we stand in that every day. Amen to that, dude. Um, did that uh, prayer donation happen to have a name attached to it? Yeah, absolutely. That was from Esther Peters. Thank so thank you, Esther. Thank you, Esther. Round of applause for Esther Peters for sending us, uh, taking the time to send a prayer donation to this show. We really deeply appreciate it. And starting in episode five, if you donate, if every listener of this show donated a dollar per show, we would be absolutely thrilled. So if you donate a dollar, we will read your name and we will say thank you. If you donate $10, we will not only read your name, you can leave us a note with your donation and we will read it on the show. And I'm going to make AJ read the ones I don't like so much. If you happen to say anything that we don't like. And for $25, and this is going to be a limited time folks, because we know that by episode 10, 20, those donations are going to be rolling in. It'll, the donation segment will just be so long. We have to like increase the threshold to be on the Feed the People podcast. So this is a really great opportunity if you were an early adopter to hear your name and possibly have your note read by AJ, by myself, and when she's here, by the Brooke Ince herself, which will be plenty fun when we get to have Brooke mm-hmm. back. So if you donate a dollar, you'll be able to, we'll read your name. If you donate $10, you can send me a note brooks at seriousfun.io and if you would like to at $25 or more you can send us a voice note or a regular note and we will play it on the show for now so if you want to have some fun if you would like to hear your name called out during the producer segment that is exactly how you can donate your treasure and we do have treasure donors already for this show the first one utah beef producers Shout out Utah Beef Producers with the kind, abundant donation of $250 for episode four of the Feed the People podcast. I'm thinking we're going to call this one Waste Not. Mm, Great. Waste Not. I think that's going to be a good name for this show. Waste Not. Perfect. Uh, So thank you, Utah Beef Producers, for donating your treasure and making the show possible. We deeply appreciate it. And I believe, AJ, you saw that there was a donor that already knew, like, you know what? I'm ready to donate now. Brooks mentioned it in episode three. I know how to donate to AJ directly. I'm going to go ahead and do that. And that human being is? Uh, that human being, that, and and listen, when we were going through this, it uh, surprised me because this person has been supporting this uh, initiative for a while. And that is Heather H. Heather What's H. That? 
I wish I knew your whole name, but I'm sorry. Nope. I'm sorry. Morgan H. Morgan H. Shout out Morgan H. Round of applause for you. Morgan H. And she came in with some, with some, uh, in, in the serious fun podcast, we'd call that big booty. We call treasure booty in the pirate language. She'd be, she'd be a big booty donor. Uh, and, uh, or he Morgan, we don't know. Yeah. Um, we don't know. Morgan, he or she is a, uh, a treasure donor for how much? Uh, $50. And actually Morgan, as I went through the history of this, Morgan's donated over $250. She must have set us up on like an auto auto deal or something because she's been a huge contributor. And that is that what a great reminder. You can actually find ways to create sustaining donorships where you give at a rhythm that works for you. That could be monthly. It could be weekly. But when you do that, I am going to keep track of all of the donors. And as the show evolves, we will start to give you some targets. That way, if you hit a donation support level of a particular kind, you will get a very special status here at the Feed the People podcast. And you'll get a seat at the big old farm table where we'll be serving you some of that beautiful cut meat and probably some beer and some and some raw milk and uh, we will say thank you to all those sustaining donors so again that is how you can donate your treasure but like we've said we love receiving value in the form of time and talent so if you are listening to this thank you for being a producer you are officially donating your time to educate yourself and to give us a couple of more plays on our on our uh, ticker there that we get to look at and go, how many people are actually listening to the show? And so thank you. Another way you could donate your time, if wherever you're finding this, you could rate it five stars. You could leave a kind comment. You could be like, yo, I actually uh, have been listening to this show a couple of episodes. And I remember you, my friend that mentioned this thing here, send them a link so they can listen to the show. We deeply appreciate it. And we love it. If you'd introduce us to a hundred of your best friends, we'd absolutely love it. And then for our talent donation, there's a couple of different ways that you can donate your talent. Um, One thing that I think is cool personally is when people donate art. So if you were to say, hey, uh, feed the people, I had this based on your episode. I had this really funny idea for, say, like a cartoon figure. And I I just want to donate it to you and use it or don't use it. We actually may use your art as the thumbnail of any particular episode. And we would say thank you. And that would be another way that you could donate your talent. We've had in the last segment uh, or in the last episode, we had a uh, section known as bop or flop. And so AJ, before before we get started, I'm going to give you... Uh, I'm going to give you an option. So I'm going to tell you the names of the songs. Okay. I'm going to let you pick one and then we'll go from there. Okay. All right. I have two in front of me. One of them is called all good. And the other one is called animal spirits. Oh, definitely going with animal spirits. Animal spirits. It is. And so AJ, I must ask you, is this a, Bop or flop?
My man, my man, that is uh, that is uh, actually my my co-host in the Serious Fun podcast. That is actually Dave Robinson. Wow! Under his moniker Uncle Moon. So shout out Uncle Moon, man, and Clary and Barry. Shout out Clary and Barry as well, my guy. Thank you. And we got a bop on our hands, my friends. Yep. We got a. It's a clear bop. So that is another. Thank you, AJ. Great job here. Oh, yeah. That is a whole lot of fun. I love those. I'm always now. I'm looking forward to them. <laughs> bop or flop, baby. It's a hit. We got it. So thank you, Uncle Moon and Clarion Barry, for donating your talent in the form of your music. We deeply, deeply appreciate it. And uh, I have. Two more things that I have for our fun side of the show here. Uh, one of them is a comedian. His name is Tyler Rogers. Um, and this is a little ditty on gentrified food. I just thought this was hilarious, mm. and I think you'll I think you'll find this quite funny. So gentrifying snack foods now. You guys have seen this, right? Like you go into the store and there's a bag of chips and it looks like Doritos, but it's not Doritos. It's got like chia seeds in it and it's called something like Nathaniel's Harvest or some sh- They all have the same two little sections written on the back of them. They always have our story and then below that, our promise to you. That's how you know they're going to taste awful because things that taste good don't have multiple treatises written on them. It would be cool if they did, though. It would be cool if Coca-Cola had, like, an evil version of those two little sessions. Like, you turned around a can of Coke, and it was, like, our story. The original formula was created in the year 1880 by a morphine-addicted ex-Confederate general who thought that it could cure syphilis. Since then, our little family has grown. And we are now part of the same multinational conglomerate that sold chemical weapons to both sides during World War II. They made us take the cocaine out, but it's still pretty f***ed up. Our promise to you, if you try to unionize one of our bottling plants, we will f***ing kill you. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Shout out oh. Tyler Rogers. I believe his uh, Instagram handle is, uh, un- it is at it underscore is underscore Tyler, T-Y-L-E-R underscore Rogers, R. O-G-E-R-S. We will list him as a producer of the Feed the People podcast, and we will also link to all of this in the show notes. Awesome. Yeah, just a little levity out there. I love you know, it. He's, a, he's like, yeah, we, if it has multiple treatises, that's how you know it's going to taste taste awful. I like the healthy snacks. I just thought he was, thought it was a funny take. Yeah. And the, other, the other thing that I had saved here is uh, I was going through the Discord channel the other day, yeah. And I was catching up on the Discord channel and I noticed that you had posted the podcast. And you're yep. like, hey, uh, we, we released the podcast if you want to listen. And uh, one of the responses was, <laughs> <laughs> he said, he said, it it sounds like you you paid an, uh, an actor to do a, a bad Western accent for your intro. And I was, uh, I was over here like, oh. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, they didn't pay me, but I definitely put on the accent. And so uh, I thought it would be fun to okay. give people context as to the origin of the voice. Do okay. It. So why this voice came around was that it actually got started as an inside joke from Serious Fun Podcast. And I was doing the show with Dave and uh, this is the moment that it came up. I was doing a bit called Manthropology. The episode is episode four. It's called Super Fat. And it's actually a deconstruction of the fat acceptance movement and how uh, it's actually really not good, but not for the reasons that you might imagine. It's not for the reasons you'd want to yell at me on the other side of the microphone. I actually have bring data as I do, but we're towards the end of the show like this and we're hanging out. And so, um, I, during the pandemic, I had created, uh, just a fun little segment that I was just, you know, kind of bored during the pandemic. So I was making out all kinds of fun stuff and I created something called manthropology and manthropology, which is meant to be tips for men on how to be a safe, sexy, and secure man in today's society. And so uh, I, Dave had said, oh, you need to bring this you need to bring this bit into serious fun. And I was like, you don't have to tell me twice. And like within less than 24 hours, I bring the manthropology bit, but we didn't intend for it to go in this direction. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to play the serious one podcast so you can hear the origin of the voice for manthropology. Of... Number 23, Manthropology. <laughs> Speed of implementation, Love by the it. way. Here we go. Manthropology. Manthropology. That's going on the pad, dude, for sure. Thank God. Yeah. So today on Manthropology, I'm going to teach you how not to be fat by eating steak the best way possible. Dave, how do you like to make your steak? Man, all right. Every man has their own steak. A real man knows their, how, to, how to cook a good steak, but there's not just one way to cook a good steak. That's true. So, Dave, tell me, as we're manthropologying today, how do you cook? What's your ideal steak? I may get lambasted by this. You are. Maybe. I don't know. I slow cook outside. I, I smoke the steak. You're a steak grill. smoker? I'm a steak smoker. You sick son of a bitch. In the early stages. Okay. Get it warm on the warmish mm. on the inside, mm. right? And then I sear it on a cast iron with some ghee, which is clarified butter with a little higher smoke point. And I sear it on, on both sides on the cast iron, and it's phenomenal. <laughs> oh my god, this is so good! Great pull up there. Yeah. yeah. Why? What? What? How did you find yourself into a situation where that was your method? I'm gonna get. I'm gonna get down here. My, you know, yeah, down you know, I'll tell you what, brother. My <laughs> grilling method came about here out of necessity because my grill won't go over about 300 degrees. It just won't do it. So I have learned through experience to slow cook damn near everything, and I smoke it too. Let that be the first lesson on manthropology. You gotta be adaptive. <laughs> be adaptive and smoke your meat. Smoke your meat. The way here here's my recipe. <laughs> what I do is I pull it out, pull it out early, and get that get it down to room temperature. Oh, oh, oh it's a given, of course. Salt. Good salt. Yes, sir. That's all you need. Good salt and some rest. Then I pull out my wok 
Well, I pull out my walk, which is I'm a, I'm a country man who happened to live in Asia, which is a fact. From the South, live in Korea. I have a walk and I get it real hot. I get it real hot and then I drop down some bacon grease. But you got to check to make sure it's hot enough. And the way you do that is you get a, just a little bit of drop of water. And you just splash, and you hit the splash, and if it's and if it's real hot, it just it just beads up, and that's how you know it's hot. Throw down that that beautiful bacon grease, and then I lay it the, the good side down. Four to five minutes, depending on the thickness. Four to five minutes on sear, hot, hot. I say, <laughs> I flip it, and I get it hot again. Three to four minutes, depending on the on the, on the oh, thickness. My goodness. And then I, and what I do is I turn the heat off. That's the beauty of, of the live production. And I let it yep. rest. Those are some it, good accents. Is it, is you never know what can happen, and before you know it, you've created a bit, and then that bit becomes the voice for a different show. I played that yep. for AJ. Thought it was hilarious, and I was like, well, you know what? I'm just going to surprise him. I'm going to have a whole intro pre-prepared for the pilot episode and i knew i had hit something when both of you were like check out that intro did you hear that and i was like wow this this is really working and so we liked it we you liked it and and so i hope that the people out there like it we're just having a little bit of fun folks you know yes which and also it's our show so if we like it it's going to be on there. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> it's, it is what it is. It is what it is. So we're having now, fun. That, that also means, though, we could probably tie that intro into somebody's treasure or talent. Yeah. If somebody wanted, if somebody was like, hey, I want my note read in the intro voice. Oh, you know, I got you. Oh, yeah. dear listener, please, <laughs> please make the request. Make me and AJ's day. Or Barb. Maybe Barb will come and do a guest read. Barb is always available, you guys. We're going to do some. We, we got Barb and she's uh, she's going to be present in Vegas. Maybe we can, um, you know, we get Barb on a commercial. Get oh, another Barb commercial. Let's just see how it goes. Let's see be how great, it goes. Don't you know? AJ, you know, I was you, 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 the floor is yours, my man. Perfect, because there's a few people that I just want to give a shout out to. You know, when we were when I knew we wanted to do the podcast a couple of months ago, we we built this give send go to to help raise capital so that I could travel and meet the people I needed to meet to get this app going, and then put money towards getting the um, some of the equipment and so forth. That's where the, the headphones and the mic came from. But there's some some other donors that I just want to shout out because they donated early on. Uh, they donated before it was live. So Bloomin'Bee donated $200. Says this platform is truly needed. And then what we're talking about is the from the farm e-commerce platform we're building. Like the saying goes, if the control of food, if they control the food, they control us. Then Teresa Allen said, we need to stick together to have access to our local farmers is a great idea. I'll pray for your success in getting this going and hope to hear from you soon. MD, uh, and Teresa donated 150. MD donated 100. If if anyone following this, uh, let's see, if everyone following this important initiative would give just a dollar, we would meet our goal. And then there's a lot of anonymous donors at $150, $100 and $50, as well as Morgan's in there too. So 
all you guys that uh, Paul, um, you know, I'm just looking through the names, Morgan Ham, Concerned Patriot, lots of anonymous donors as well. Thank you. Thanks for helping us get this going. Thanks for uh, uh, being a part of this movement. It is a movement by the people. It's why it's Feed the People by the People. Uh, this is, you know, once we've said it before, when the software goes live, it's nothing unless it's adopted and used. And, and uh, with the community that's rallying around this, it's really uh, special. And we, we are certainly grateful. Yes, we are. And so thank you to everyone who had a actual hand in generating this podcast. Your voice, your vote, it matters. It matters to us. It is personal. And the future of podcasting and the future of media is not through advertisers and sponsors that are going to want to curb our speech. It is from you voting with your dollars day in and day out. And for every time that you vote for this show with your dollars, just know we deeply, deeply appreciate it. AJ, any final words for the people out there before we cut and run and shut down episode four? As always, shake the hand to feed you. God bless you. See you next week for episode five. We look forward to seeing those donations. Check out the show notes for all of the places that you know. You can send those treasure donations in those notes. We will see you next week.